This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome back into the Lions podcast. I am Tyler Donahue, and we are happy to be back with a bunch ahead of this matchup between the Indiana Hoosiers and the Penn State Nittany Lions. The number 15 Nittany Lions now as they come out with the college football playoff rankings. We were on the practice field on Wednesday. We'll have some conversation about that with Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon. Of course, we are watching the quarterback position very closely right now with Penn State as James Franklin has been non-committal about who will start this matchup, which is Pretty new territory, as we'll cover ground with a little bit later here on the episode. And as we've discussed a lot this week on the Lions 24-7 podcast, uh, offensive line situation needs to be sorted through. Some missing pieces to that puzzle on the practice field Wednesday. We'll give you our thoughts on players to watch, general takeaways from this matchup, and give our final predictions, including some bold ones as well, as bold as it gets on this show. But right now we begin with focus on the Hoosiers who come into this riding a five-game losing streak at three and five. Matt Weaver joins us. He covers Indiana for 24-7 sports. And Matthew, we're really happy to have you with us. Uh, thanks for joining us on the game week. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, let's begin with the obvious. Uh, Indiana, five losses in a row following that 3-0 and start. What went right early? What has gone wrong since then? Well, I mean, early on, you know, obviously the schedule's gotten harder. Um, you know, the, the competition's got better. And obviously they start with Illinois, and Illinois is having a great season, arguably the best team over in the West. Um, they had some breaks. Illinois, you know, that game turned it over four times. Um, you know, second week you played Idaho. They actually were up on Indiana 10-0 and, and then couldn't sustain it. And then third game, Western Kentucky had a game-winning field goal literally as time was running out and missed it and went into overtime, and Indiana was able to take it overtime. You know, the offense has not been great all season, but it was better in those first early games. And I think part of it, I kind of address it in your questions, um, you know, the question exchange we did. Um, I, you know, they have a new offensive coordinator, Walt Bell, and I think um, teams, there wasn't a lot of film on them. And I think teams have started, there's more film now, they're starting to adjust. And then the issues that Indiana had in the first three games that were kind of covered up because they got some breaks, because they did make some things happen, give them credit for that. They're not getting those same breaks now. So those issues are really, really coming to the surface even more. So offensively, they're just not playing very good. I mean, you know, you uh, Nebraska is not great defensively. Um, they couldn't do hardly anything against them. Uh, they go to Rutgers. They get a kickoff return for a touchdown, get a drive for a touchdown, and then they don't score for basically three and a half quarters. It's just a struggle offensively. And then defensively, they're okay but they're on the field a lot. Indiana's dead last in time of possession because they play fast and they're getting a lot of three and outs. So the defense is on the field a ton. They're getting worn out as the game goes along. And, you know, they're not they're not playing to the level I think people thought. The, the secondary has not been great, which everybody thought would be a strength. Linebackers have been good, even with the loss of Cam Jones. The D-line's been so-so. But, 
you know, it's just kind of like I say in my exchange, it's at best a mediocre team. And quite honestly, it's just they're just not very good. Yeah. Matt and I exchanged some questions uh, for, for content purposes, text wise up on the our respective sites. So you can check those out as well. Of course, we're going to cover a lot of ground right here. And, and at quarterback, it's a spot we've been focused on here at the Penn State beat throughout this week. We're trying to see what that's going to look like uh, come kickoff Saturday. What can you tell us about that position for the Hoosiers right now? Well, this is the first week. Every week we've gotten Connor Bazelak on Monday, you know, the Monday weekday uh, press conference or game week pr press conference. Did not get him this week. Uh, he, Coach Allen was asked about the quarterback position because Bazelak has struggled. I mean, he's made some bad throws, some had some bad turnovers, and he was noncommittal, kind of like I heard you say about, about James Franklin. He was noncommittal. Um, Indiana is real big about uh, about – hiding stuff I, it's interesting that you guys get to go to practice we don't get we haven't been to a practice since the middle of august we see nothing so um, we don't know what's going on on the practice field who's playing where what the depth chart looks like um and he was non-committal i mean it sounds to me like there's going to be somebody else under center whether that's because of performance or base like has taken a beating he has really been hit a lot this year um there's been some games where he's it's taken him a, few, a little while to get up off the turf and he's kind of limped off a few times, but he's always played. He has not, he's been the only quarterback, I believe. I think he's taken every single snap. Um, he's been the only, only quarterback out there. So you just kind of expect him to be the starter. So it sounds like there's something up. I don't know if, like I said, if it's performance-based or injury or maybe a little bit of both, but, and I'm not saying there will be a new quarterback, but it certainly sounds like that's going to be the case. Cause like I said, Alan said Monday, you're gonna have to wait and see on Saturday who our quarterback is. And that's, that's something they've not done since the season started. Bazelak at 55% completion, 12 touchdowns, nine interceptions uh, on the season, just over 2,000 yards as well. I know Sean Shivers has gotten a lot of work. He's over 100 carries on the season. Um, just under four yards per touch. You talked about the offensive line maybe uh, contributing to the fact that the quarterback has taken that beating. Is is this an Indiana team that has struggled to assert itself in the run game as well? Yeah, and, and you know, they fired Darren Hiller, I think it was after the Michigan game. It was a couple weeks ago, um, the week before Maryland. So a few weeks ago, the offensive line coach, and it was something that, you know, fans had kind of been clamoring for for a while. The offensive line was bad last year. It had not really improved. Rod Carey, who's the former Northern Illinois and Temple coach, played here at Indiana. It was an offensive lineman, and that's his background. He was actually, after you know getting let go at Temple last year, he came to Indiana as one of those, I don't know, quality control or consultants or whatever they call them nowadays. And they just kind of bumped him up to that offensive line job. And I think they've improved, but it's really hard to make improvements midstream. I mean, once you start the season, you kind of are what you are. There's just not enough time to really work out the kinks um, and, and fix something that's that's broken. You can maybe make it a little bit better, but it's honestly you're putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound for the most part. And he they they did they have looked a little bit better, but you know this is something that's going to take an off season and a spring ball to get fixed. Um, but yeah, they just they don't run the ball, and then you've got a quarterback in Bazelak who is not mobile. He's not. I mean, once this rush gets to him. He's either throwing it away or he's going down for a sack. There's just he's not going to make plays with his legs, um, so that's hurt him as well. And so that's why it'll be interesting if they do make a change this week. Dexter Williams, who's third on the depth chart, but probably is the most talented guy in the roster. He's a dual threat kid out of Georgia. He's never not played a down, but he has um, he's he can run and throw. So it might be interesting to see if maybe they go that route. I don't know if they will. Jack Tuttle's the other choice, but. He announced two weeks ago he's going in the portal and he's got four games left in his career. He's staying with the team, which is an unusual situation. I find it 
it would be weird to me if you start a guy who's got four games of his career and has basically said, I don't want to be here anymore. But this is Indiana, so I guess anything's possible. We got weird stuff to, uh, to talk about at quarterback this week on both sides. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, it's, it's an interesting conversation um, on both campuses right now. Um, a, a couple cams, uh, it would seem, are going to be out of action here. Cam Camper uh, confirmed for out for the season now. Mm-hmm. He has led the way for Indiana, almost 600 receiving yards. Uh, that that ch- pretty much doubles up anybody else on the roster in, in terms of production. And then uh, Cam Jones, who's a guy that we've gotten pretty accustomed to in this series. He's been a highly productive linebacker for the Hoosiers. Can we spotlight the impact of both those players uh, being off the field? I don't think it's been confirmed all the way with Cam Jones, but based on the reporting I've seen on your site, it certainly doesn't indicate that that it's an optimistic outlook for his availability this Saturday. Yeah, my my guess, if I was going to put money on it, I don't think Cam Jones plays. Um, you know, he they said several weeks, and there were some rumors that, you know, it, he it could be almost the entire season. I think if he does come back, you're probably talking the last game or two. Um, I think honestly, Cam Camper is the bigger loss though, because Aaron Casey has moved over. He was starting at the, um, um, he was starting one linebacker. They moved him over and, and put Bradley Jennings in at the middle spot where, uh, where Casey was. And Aaron Casey, while he's not Cam Jones, has been really productive. He's played well. I, it's, it's not the same level, but I think they've made, made up for that loss production with Cam Jones. Cam Camper by far is the best receiver on this team. It's not even close. Um, when he he didn't play against Nebraska and it really showed. I'm not saying they beat Nebraska, but I think they would have been, it would have been uh, more competitive at least in the second half where they just couldn't move the ball. So losing Cam Camper is a major blow. I mean, DJ Matthews has been since Cincinnati has basically been banged up with a hamstring issue, and some of the other guys just have not have not stepped up. So Camper is really a significant loss for this team, and it's why you like I said. Just, I have no idea who they're going to start, but you, maybe you go to more of the dual threat quarterback so you can try to maybe you can't change your scheme, but maybe try to attack in a different way a little bit because this was a passing offense. This was about Bays like dropping back and throwing it a ton and getting the ball out quick and playing fast. And now you don't, if Bays like's not playing, you don't have camper. It's really two big pieces of the puzzle. And I don't know how you overcome that. They've got some transfer pieces at receiver. We, we know Emory Simmons' name around here. Uh, DJ Matthews is a guy who started elsewhere. If they're able to attack Penn State, get some guys in space, uh, who are the who are the playmakers that, that Indiana may not take 15, 20 touches on the game, but maybe they can make an impact with six to eight touches? Well, I mean, Emory Simmons has had some big catches, and he's done some nice things. Um, uh, DJ Matthews, who I mentioned, is a guy that's got some uh, big play capability. He's had the hamstring issue. He played a little bit against Rutgers. The week off, you would think, would help him, and hopefully he can be closer to 100%. Uh, Jalen Lucas is a true freshman from uh, the New Orleans area that's been – when he's touched the ball, I think he's averaging 30 yards on kickoff return. He's the one that took the kickback against Rutgers. Um, you know, I mean, against Nebraska, he was the leading rusher in the game for IU, and he had three carries. Um, you know, but they were for 39 yards. That, But that shows you where the running game is when your leading rusher is going for 39 yards. But he's not very big, like 5'10", 170-something pounds but really quick, really fast, can can make guys miss in space and, and take it the distance as well. So those are the guys. I mean, um, Anderson Kobe, he's a transfer. Um, uh, well, he was at Tennessee. He was at Juco, then went to Tennessee, and then and, and now is here. He's got some big play capability, but he's been really inconsistent. But the guys I would look to are, are Matthews and um, uh, Lucas. And then Josh Henderson, the transfer from North Carolina, has really honestly probably been the best back on the team. 
Um, Shriver starts, but, but Henderson's really been good in the pass game and the run game. And um, he's had some, he's had, I think he's got three touchdown receptions, which might lead the team. And he's done a nice job. I, mean, I don't know if I'd call him a, a huge big play explosive guy, but he's had some, he's had some significant chunk yardage at times. You mentioned Casey and, and it clicking for him at linebacker and him stepping up. I can see he's filled that stat sheet. But in, in terms of game records, uh, this is a, a Penn State team that turned the ball over four times against a very talented Ohio State defense. We're curious if they can play clean football. If there's someone that can disrupt that and, and, and cause them not to play clean football, who are we looking at in this Hoosiers defense? I'd say probably the first guy is Desan McCullough. He's a true freshman, uh, the highest rated recruit in Indiana history. His dad is Dylan, who was on the staff and left to go to Notre Dame. Before that was with the Chiefs when they won the Super Bowl and went to the Super Bowl a couple years in a row. Um, he's 6'5", 235, 40 pounds. Just the kind of guy that you guys are probably used to in Ohio State, Michigan. At Indiana, they don't come along very often. Just a kind of a freak. You know, uh, uh, you played receiver in high school, played safety. He's more of a kind of a DN slash outside linebacker at Indiana. He plays – they call it the uh, bull position, which is like a stand-up D-end. Um, and he is athletic and, and long. He's a true freshman, and teams have st started to scheme around him and, 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 and notice him. But he's a guy that can make some plays and, and get in the backfield. You know, I'd say Casey. They've been using him on blitzes a lot, um, you know, trying to trying – to, and that's the thing that they don't do well defensively. They don't rush the passer. Um, so they've got to take chances and they've got to blitz. But when you do that, you put guys on an island – and then you got a man-on-man -man coverage into a guy like Parker Washington, and that could be trouble. I mean, it's – you know, they've got DBs who have had some, you know, good play in their careers, but they're not playing well this year, and Taiwan Mullen and Jalen Williams and some other guys. So if they don't get home to the quarterback, um, you know, the big plays are going to happen. Before we get to your final thoughts on this matchup, let's go big picture. Um, we got an early look at what was going to be a very special season for Indiana in 2020. But then you look at the story since then, leaves a lot to be desired. I think it's one conference victory since 2020. Yeah. What are the genuine vibes around this team in Bloomington and the thoughts about the leadership and the direction that things are heading? Because I'm sure in 2020, there was a lot of investment. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. You guys have probably, it, for you, it just flip-flopped. There's a lot of pressure on a James Franklin as a head football coach at Penn State, whereas the basketball coach maybe doesn't feel as much heat when you don't have as much success. Here at Indiana, it's back. It's the other way. The basketball coach has a ton of pressure, obviously, and the football coach not as much. But there are there's a lot of unrest. There's a lot of people who are unhappy, and it's you know you you talked about the 2020 season and last year. It's not like there was a slow, gradual decline. It was a complete like you pushed a car off a cliff. I mean, they went from six and two and I think at one point in 20, they were top 10 to 15 in the country. I mean, they were undefeated and two and 10 last year. I mean, just brutal. No, no big 10 wins. And then obviously you got the one this year and it's looking like you could go one and 17 over a two year span. The problem Indiana has, and I actually pulled it up, um, the buyout for Tom Allen uh, on December 22nd drops to 25.5 million. It drops to that. So in wow. Indiana, last year he changed his OC. They made him pay for that out of his own pocket. He had to come up with the money himself. They wouldn't even pay for him to change it. It was less than a million dollars. So They're not going to be motivated I, to, to swallow yeah, that. Not uh, yeah. be, it would be shocking if there was a coaching change in Indiana in, in the near future. I think he's got at least one year. Unless you can get, get him to do a Paul Christ and agree to some kind of reduced buyout. But even then, it's going to be pretty high. I mean, so – 
you know, and I'm not saying he should be fired. I'm just saying if if anybody's thinking along those lines, I think it's right now far-fetched. I think Indiana and Tom Allen are joined at the hip for at least one more season, and I think the smart money is maybe two unless somehow, you know, he just decides it's not for him and he wants to take a reduced buyout and move on and go be a D.C. somewhere. But there is an unrest, as much as you're going to have with Indiana's fan base, where right now everybody's focused on a team that's ranked 13th in the country and, and basketball and the season starts next Tuesday. That's what most fans are focused on. The football fans are unhappy, but it's a small lot, you know, to be perfectly honest. All right. Well, this Saturday, uh, this version of Indiana football, what do you anticipate against Penn State? Which way are you leaning? If you're comfortable enough, we'd love to hear a score prediction. Yeah. Oh, no problem. Um, well, one thing that'll be interesting is the weather could be a factor. Um, there, I heard today when I was driving my daughter to school, uh, possible rain and wind gusts of maybe 40 to 50 miles an hour. Um, so yeah. obviously now Penn State is the good running team. So that definitely, you know, Indiana would be the passing team. Um, so that affects Indiana probably more negatively than not that Penn State doesn't throw the ball, but, you know, they have those great freshman running backs and that's how they kind of make their hay. So, you know, I think if the weather is a factor, I think it probably pulls the scoring down a little bit. I thought this would be, I think Penn State's 14 point favorite, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's what I saw. Uh, I will say uh, 27-10 Penn State. Uh, and I think, you know, one reason that the, if the weather is a factor, that probably, like I said, pulls the scoring down a little bit. But I think they win this. I think, I think you know, defensively they'll give Indiana a lot of problems, especially up front. And then offensively, I think, it, you know, as the game goes on, you know, they'll wear them down and, and, and pull away. I mean, maybe it's competitive for a quarter, a quarter and a half. Um, but I think Penn State eventually pulls away in this game and, and wins it by a couple touchdowns to maybe three scores. Always great to get our 24-7 sports colleagues on here. Matt Weaver does a great job covering this Hoosiers football squad. Basketball season upcoming. I know things are about to shift into high gear there, so we appreciate the time. Uh, and you'll be sharing the press box with a couple of our colleagues, Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon, this Saturday. So we'll talk to you soon. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's keep it going here on the Lions 24-7 podcast and shift focus back to these Nittany Lions. we got a lot to discuss, a lot that we'll be watching ahead of this kickoff in Bloomington, Indiana. Daniel Gowan and Mark Brennan will both be in Memorial Stadium for the matchup. I will be here in our Happy Valley headquarters and we'll be ready to break things down on another podcast afterward. But it's now time for that pregame conversation, fellas. And we always start that with what we learned on the practice field. And we had a lot to look for on Wednesday evening. We had our VIP observation notes up, a bunch of photos up, uh, some commentary up on the site, lines247.com, as we always do on Wednesday night. But, Mark, one thing we were looking for was any indication of where things might stand at quarterback, whether from what we saw or heard from James Franklin. 
didn't get that kind of clarity. Franklin said if he has anything formal to say on the matter, it'll happen after the matchup uh, in Indiana. So if that happens, you guys will both be ready with your microphones. Uh, but offensive line is where the storyline really surfaced for me on Wednesday and what we might be looking at brewing in Bloomington. Yeah, I mean, listen, we're only there for, what, 10, 12, however many minutes. Uh, so, so we can only see what we see or don't see. And the number of people who weren't there when we were there w w was kind of stunning. I mean, uh, it almost looked like an NFL offensive line in terms of the number of guys they actually dress for, for games. I mean, the, 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 the groupings were very, very uh, small. So I think they're very fortunate that they were able to get a guy like, uh, like Hunter uh, Norzad from the transfer portal. I, I think it highlights – the, the need to get one, if not two, uh, quality offensive linemen from that portal every single year. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what's happening in that room, uh, but, you know, we've seen guys in slings, you know, multiple guys in slings down the depth chart. Uh, Landon Tangwell, uh, you know, it sure seemed like he wasn't moving his left arm at all. Uh, when we saw him at, on the sideline at the Ohio State game. So that looks like it's something that's going to be long-lasting. So that's going to be an area, you know, quarterback is obviously first and foremost when we're at Memorial Stadium for pregame, you know, keeping an eye on what's going on. But seeing who's available, who's not available for that offensive line is going to be key, especially if it's nasty weather, because, you know, that that may indicate that they're going to be need to run the ball more and, you know, you might be able to get away with some things in the passing game when it comes to blocking. But if you have to really get in there and grind it out, it's going to be key to have as many of your top players as you can possibly have on that line. We'll talk about Tangwall and Norzad and, and those guard spots in a second. But, Daniel, it's hard not to focus your attention on the left tackle position. Part of that is because everyone's focused on that position with this Penn State team right now. Olu Fashionu looks like he may be offensive tackle number one on the 2023 uh, board. Well, hello there uh, after nine career starts. <laughs> we'll find out where it goes. And part of that is going to be what's this availability look like moving forward to build on this momentum. It's very important for Penn State, obviously, to have their left tackle in the lineup. And, and he was not on the practice field in the portion that we saw on Wednesday. He did not finish the matchup against Ohio State. Uh, I think he missed the last five or six snaps overall offensively. Uh, that meant we saw Jimmy Chris get involved. Bryce Efner stayed at tackle as well. Um, I'm looking long-term here. If Olu uh, is not available, how might that equate to what we see from the tackle position? And you've got to factor in that Caden Wallace, not quite evident yet that he is a full-go participant so you factor those things together and you start to wonder who's going to be on the edge of this thing against Indiana. To, to start with Caden Wallace, we, we, we saw kind of what we saw last week in terms of him being the, I guess the partial participant uh, is how we worded it uh, in terms of, uh, you know, in uniform out on the practice field, um, you know, going through a couple different things. He was in uniform Saturday against Ohio state uh, and, and didn't play. But, yeah, I mean, you look at it between Caden Wallace and Olu Fashionu, um, Penn State could be down uh, their, their starting tackles. And I think that Olu's availability is, is really big because, you know, you need to protect your quarterback's blind side. Um, I think that for the most part this year, um, Sean Clifford hasn't had to worry about uh, pressure coming from that blind side. Um, it feels like most of the sacks that he's – most of the memorable sacks that he's taken – where a guy has just been beat has been off the right side. Um, 
in front of him. So <clears throat> I think if Penn State gets Olu, if Penn State has Olu, it obviously elevates the the level of this offensive line. Um, there's a reason that he's being considered OT1 uh, by certain draft analysts. Uh, there's a reason why there were clips of him being passed around um, on social media in the aftermath of that Ohio State matchup. I mean, there's a reason he's been getting all this praise, and I think he's li- lived up to that, um, you know, in, in what we've seen this year. And anytime you take that caliber of player away from an offensive line, it makes things difficult. Um, you know, even if Caden Wallace was healthy, uh, even if they had their full complement um, of offensive tackles, all the depth in the world, you still take away a guy at that level. It's it's nearly impossible to replace that. So I think that that'll be the one position on the offensive line that you know we're really going to be watching, and that I think during warmups we're really going to have an eye on uh, when we get to Saturday. Yeah, Tyler. It's, one is, thing. One yeah. thing about Olu. I mean, I was down there on the field at the end of the Ohio State game, and he walked within two feet of me as he was leaving the field. He was with a trainer. He was walking gingerly, but under his own power. So make of that what you will. He didn't need assistance. You know, he just, he looked like a guy who was in a little bit of pain, but it wasn't anything excruciating. And he was, again, nobody made any effort to kind of help him. And they would if he needed help. I don't mean that to come across the wrong way, but he walked right by me and it didn't look like it was, was significant. So again, take that for what it's worth. You know, they don't talk about injuries, but that's a little bit of intel from me being down on the field. Yeah, the first step forward for him would be to be out there pregame warmups, getting those early stretches, some of that early work in with some position coaches. The next step would be for him to resurface from the locker room in that full uniform and start going through those pregame drills with the starting offensive unit. When that happens or when that doesn't happen, Daniel and Mark will have eyes on it. They have the binoculars in the press box at Memorial Stadium. So make sure you're following early at lines247.com. It's not just the offensive line, of course. Folks want to know what's going on at quarterback, but whoever's protecting that quarterback, it's going to be in play here. And, and if Olu, for the sake of this conversation, is sidelined this Saturday, what does that do for you at the tackle position? I think we've got to acknowledge that if Bryce Seffner is available for this one, uh, and or, I'm sorry, if Caden Wallace is not available for this one, you'd imagine they'd want to keep Bryce Seffner entrenched at the right side. And I think that lends you to think that Drew Shelton would be the next man up at tackle. I know Jimmy Chris was the next guy in at that situation late in the game. They moved moved Eftert to the left side. Again, it was four or five snaps. I think if you've got a game plan here and you, you, you know what direction you need to work in, Drew Shelton, it sounds like he's a guy that would have already burned his red shirt if they were in a position where they needed him to. There's no hesitancy with this staff right now. They want to preserve the red shirt, but there's no hesitancy, it sounds, to trust him in a game. So they're trying to do that balancing act. He's got two games to his credit. This may be a spot start for him, and then you try to tuck him away for the rest of the way and maybe save a bowl game to him. But Drew Shelton could very quickly go in that spotlight. You could have these two freshman Drews, both top 24-7 prospects, you know, front and center in this matchup, and uh, you know, it, it, it could expose a lot about your young talent. Yeah, we were hearing in the preseason that Drew Shelton was as advanced uh, in terms of offensive line fundamentals and skills as, as a freshman as, as Dev ever had under James Franklin here. So that's really saying something. Uh, you know, I, I, my early indication, I thought we were going to actually see more of him as the season went along, but they made the, the decision to try to redshirt him, which, you know, I, it kind of makes sense to me, but it kind of doesn't. And the reason I say that is because if he's that technically advanced, I mean, are you really looking at him being a five-year guy? 
I mean, I just if he's that good, you know, we're already talking about Olu with nine games. You know, Olu, if he's banged up and can't play, I mean, he's going to be a guy who started ten games and ends up being a first round draft pick. I mean, it's it's incredible. Uh, how, a good point, how this Mark, happened. Mark, it's a good point. But where would you use? I guess if you're looking, if you're trying to maximize that value of burning the red shirt, yeah, is is getting him on field goal unit or getting him. Five percent of the snaps overall in the season at left tackle enough. You do have this franchise left tackle in your possession right now, so I understand your point. But right, unless, right. You're gonna find a, unless you're going to find a way to thrust him into that right tackle conversation midseason or get him reps on the interior, I don't really know if there's a pathway where the Penn State staff could see this makes sense. And I guess you never know what could happen along the way. But but you're right. I mean, guys like him with this pedigree of that prospect ranking who come in and you hear this stuff about them early, they're usually not on campus for five years. Yeah, but my, my argument would be that that right tackle has been an issue for you almost the entire season, right? No matter if it's been Efner or, or no matter if it's been uh, uh, Caden, uh, Wallace. I mean, we, it really showed itself in the Ohio State game. And I'm not suggesting that Drew Shelton would have been in there and been, and been the answer against Ohio State. But what I am saying is they showed enough flexibility with Efner that – He's able to play guard and go in there and, 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 and rotate with players at guard. And with Norzad missing a couple games and now Tangwell, I mean, that's where I thought maybe, and again, hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, and if they have to use Shelton this, this week, they have to use him. But I just, the whole concept of attempting to redshirt guys who you think are have the ability to be elite players just isn't kind of, just in this new uh, world of college football that we're in, just doesn't seem to make a whole heck of a lot of sense. Again, I mean, you look at Olu, and you know, here's a guy who's going to be a one-year starter, and I'll be shocked if he doesn't like enter the draft. And we would never, we would have never thought that. And this wasn't a guy who was superiorly <laughs> a, a superior superior from the the technical standpoint as a true freshman. And that's the things that we were hearing about about Drew Sheldon. But if he does have to play, and listen, we hope everybody's healthy. But that's going to be a fun thing to watch. Let's see what this kid is really all about in a game situation. Again, I hope everybody's healthy. I hope everybody can play for both teams. Uh, that's not saying that as a homer. But if he is forced into action, it's going to be interesting to see how good this kid really is and how much those technical skills kind of come into play because he's not the biggest guy yet. I mean, I think he's up to, what, 285, 290, something like that. And I think his ceiling will probably be like one of those 305 guys. But – it's it's fascinating to me that you you know you could look at running backs and they could come in and make an immediate impact, but when you have an opportunity to see a young offensive lineman, it, it's cool to kind of keep keep your focus on them and see what makes them special at this level. Yeah, to get a start in game number nine of your freshman season and left tackle for a program like Penn State would, would certainly be a, a big early step and a, and a big spotlight on a young player. Uh, we'll see where it goes with that. And, and you mentioned a good point there. Bryce Sefner, typically he's a guy we've seen play both guard positions. Hunter Norzad has, has really carried that load at left guard with Landon Tengwall out of play. Um, we thought maybe J.B. Nelson would cut into that. That hasn't been the case. On the right side, the other question mark we came away uh, from the practice field was no Salim Wormley during our glimpse at practice. And I, I need to make sure I mention a few things here. Um, he did come back and play a complete game at right guard against Ohio State after being limited in some capacity in his snap totals against Minnesota. He was out of that game for an extended period. He played the entire game against Ohio State. He was on a call with us that they set up uh, on, on Tuesday. Um, so if something happened to him injury-related, 
I don't think it's something coming out of the last game. So just be aware of that. And sometimes there's scheduling conflicts, but not seeing Wormley out there. Once again, it's him, Scruggs, and Fashion who have played about 98% of the snaps for this offense on the year. And when we're talking about two of those guys not being at the practice a few days before kickoff, it's going to raise some flags. And then you throw in some other depth concerns with Tangwall and Wallace, both lingering, not knowing what's going on there. But I think that's enough on the offensive line. Let's get over to the quarterback position um, because it, it's Drew Aller, it's Sean Clifford, and it's a continued evaluation process in which we've yet to hear any kind of final stamp on who the starting quarterback is. And it's strange that we are to the point now where you've got to check in on that because uh, Sean Clifford has started 25 of these in a row for the Penn State Nittany Lions. And aside from a brief moment in time in November 2020, when he was pulled out in a game on the road in Nebraska and kept out for a start against Iowa the following week. And by the way, he was the starting quarterback again for this team by halftime of that Iowa matchup. We haven't seen this from Sean Clifford, where it's been hanging in the air. And Daniel, what did you make of our interactions with James Franklin yesterday? What we heard today from uh, J1 Sider, who's not just a running backs coach, but a co-offensive coordinator, and you know, some feedback from players, such as Brenton Strange yesterday, pretty open that this is an ongoing dialogue. I don't think there's any secret right now. And James Franklin has, has had the chance to to shut it down uh, pretty much. You know, the, this talk about who's going to start on Saturday or or who's going to play, how much. Um, you know, he he's had the opportunity to to be definitive um, in in one way or the other, and and he hasn't yet. So. That leaves the space for us to, to read between the lines and, you know, we'll know for sure on, on Saturday, but I do think it is interesting that, that the door is left open um, with, with where we are right now. There, there hasn't been anything definitive um, in when, one way or the other. And I think that we've been hearing good things about uh, Drew Aller um, this week from, from some of the players and the coaches, I do think that some of the things that, that we've heard have kind of tracked with what we were hearing earlier um, in the year in terms of he's become more vocal. Um, he's become more more authoritative. Um, you know, he's he's found his voice. I think that's what Parker Washington um, was talking about last night. But I thought Jaylon Sider's uh, comments to us earlier uh, Thursday were, were really interesting. Um, he said that Drew Allard doesn't flinch uh, when he's in the game, that that they, they throw things at him in practice uh, that, you know, he might he might not even see in a game in terms of causing chaos, making things difficult, and he just rises to the occasion. Um, and Sider said that when he goes out there, it, it looks like the games are easier for him than practice, um, which, which is their whole goal. So I thought that was that was interesting. And, you know, Sider did come back around and give a, a pretty big compliment to Sean Clifford and, the job that he's done in, in bringing Aller and the rest of the young quarterbacks uh, along in that role as the sixth year senior. Um, so it, there's been, there's been good feedback on what we've heard about Aller as a player. Um, I think that you can kind of, given all the things we've heard, you can really track his development in terms of like the physical tools I think have been apparent since he's gotten here. And then, you know, he's developed on, on the vocal side and, and the mental side. Uh, during his time up to this point but I mean I think that it is interesting I mean the it's left James Franklin has kind of left a, a little bit of a of a vacuum here and he's someone that I think we usually give him credit as someone who knows what he's doing with with what he says publicly and and how he presents things so um, it's just uh, it's made things interesting for a uh, November game uh, against one of the 
you know, between a team that's out of contention uh, for the most part in the Big Ten East and one of the worst teams in the conference um, in November. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to Saturday to, to finally get an answer uh, once and for all. Mark, with James Franklin, this is a situation where midseason quarterback changes are, are not his M.O. as Penn State head coach, of course. And, and Trace McSorley had the job for so long. I remember that, that road matchup in 2018 where it seemed like maybe Trace McSorley should have stayed on the sidelines because of where he was medically. He still started that game. You think about uh, Sean Clifford and in that spiral in November, and this was a topic of conversation, and Will Levis got his one opportunity, but it was quickly back to Sean Clifford after that. And, and, and in that instance, James Franklin even referenced, he said, I'm an old, co- I played college quarterback. I know what it's like to feel like you're one mistake away from losing your job. And I don't want my starter to feel that way. And I think he's done a tremendous job publicly over the course of Sean's roller coaster career of doing that, deflecting for him in times and, and being his biggest cheerleader in moments where maybe it didn't seem like that was the move for James Franklin to make right now, though. It's a different approach for him. And I'm curious, you, you've seen Franklin hit some inflection points in, during his nine years on campus. Yeah. What do you make of, of the way November starts and, and the, the decision that looms here? And Sean Clifford, the, the, the good soldier who's down to four or five games of eligibility, and Drew Aller, who a lot of people want to see hand the keys to the car to this young man. I'm fascinated by the way Franklin is handling this publicly because I think the three of us kind of know from experience that he's not the kind of coach who's going to go in front of the media and just lie. Uh, he takes a lot of pride in being as honest as you can be. I mean, cause you know, clearly you can't just say everything, tell everybody everything, but he is not the guy who would go in there and say, Sean Clifford is the starting quarterback and then not start Clifford. That's not his MO. So what do we make of what we're hearing this week? He is not saying, Sean Clifford, he is bending over backward not to make an announcement. So is that James Franklin being honest for if he does start Aller, that he can go back and say, well, I never said Clifford was going to be the starter. Or is that James Franklin exercising gamesmanship Mm -hmm. for Indiana, just not wanting to put it out there? So I... I, I can't read. I can't get a great read on it. My gut feeling is that it's the latter, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that whatsoever. By the way, I don't think there's anything wrong whatsoever. I think I would think it was wrong if he came out and said, "Yes, it's status quo. Sean Clifford is going to be our starter," and then he starts Aller. I don't think that would be right, but that's not what he's doing, and he's very good at working those margins with the media. And I'm not being critical. I think it's I think it's a positive thing because. If we don't have a great feel for it, you could be sure that Tom Allen doesn't have a great feel for it. So my gut feeling, and I'm not sure how you guys feel about this, is that I think it's going to be Clifford. That's my gut feeling. But I do not know that for sure. And I think I could read this guy pretty pretty well. But it, it, I, I don't know if which, which one of those things it is. We will find out, obviously, Friday. <laughs> or uh, Saturday, I'm sorry. If you find uh, out Friday, let yeah, us know if that. I find out Friday, I'll let everybody know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I don't know if you guys have found that, that interesting this week, but I, the way he's kind of danced around this, I, th- I think has been pretty yeah. interesting and, and, and fascinating to watch as somebody who's covered him you know, for these nine years now or eight years, whatever the hell it is. 
I've, I've got one one quick Franklin anecdote in terms of making a, a midseason quarterback change. Uh, I mean, in 2010, when he was the offensive coordinator at Maryland, uh, they started Jamar Robinson for the first three games uh, and then turned to Danny O'Brien, who is on staff now, um, I think, in, in the fourth game of the season. And he came in and Franklin, as Franklin pointed out at one point last year, asked when he was asked about Danny O'Brien, uh, he coached him to ACC Rookie of the Year performance. Um, so this isn't necessarily new territory. And Franklin cited Danny O'Brien as someone uh, that he talked to um, this week. And O'Brien, uh, obviously, in 2010, got, you know, he was the one who was put into the starting lineup. And then 2011, when Randy Edsel came in, O'Brien was part of this weird back and forth uh, with CJ Brown at quarterback. So there are some some resources there. And in terms of you know, making this midseason switch and sticking with it, you know, there is, it is in Franklin's history a little bit. So I'm, I'm glad I could put my, uh, my Maryland diploma uh, to good use on, on this podcast. It's a tangled web uh, when you talk about quarterbacks and, and decisions like this, and uh, and we'll see where it goes. We're going to have a lot to discuss on Saturday night, that's for sure, coming out of this matchup, and, and we'll do that. But let's get to some other players that we want to keep focus on. We've covered good ground, the offensive line, and the quarterback. And let's talk about that, this matchup versus Indiana uh, for Penn State. Actually, before the players, just generally, concerns, strengths, when you review this matchup, uh, Daniel, starting with you, this is a matchup against an Indiana team, as we just heard from a guy who covers them closely. They are struggling. They are desperate. That's not always a good team to face, but quite frankly, it's the kind of team that you should be able to steamroll from a talent perspective if you bring your right game to Bloomington as a Penn State squad. One thing that stands out to me, and I'll get into it with my prediction and, and bold prediction a little bit later, is that Penn State is going to have a lot of opportunities uh, on offense. Uh, Indiana is running... Um, you know, a ton of plays this year. They're number four nationally, uh, yet they are number 109 uh, in, in points per play. So they're running a lot of plays and running them very inefficiently. Um, so I think that's something to watch. I think that Penn State is going to have, uh, you know, the ball a lot. Um, I'm not too worried about the defense, you know, having a, a hangover performance. I think that those guys will be there and they'll be ready to play. They're going to get the offense, the ball, and it's going to be, what does the offense do with it? You know, what, how does the offense take advantage of all of these extra possessions, excuse me, that they, that they might not have had in the past. So I think going through and looking at some of the numbers that that's the number one thing that stands out to me. Mark, how about you? I mean, this is a Penn State team that that dominates the, the series all time, twenty three to two against Indiana. We know better than that based on recent history. But that twenty twenty season that may have been special for Indiana, six and two in the Big Ten. They're one in thirteen in conference play since then. This is a game that James Franklin, Penn State, they certainly can't afford to lose. And I think from a get right perspective in November, you want to go and you want to look like a team that has authority out there. Yeah, I mean, what have we seen from this Penn State defense? It, what does it? What team kind of teams give it trouble? And it's teams that complete a very high percentage of their passes. Ohio State and Michigan are both in the top four in the NCAA, over seventy percent completion rate. Uh, Indiana's at fifty-five percent. So we saw against Minnesota, we saw against Auburn, what Manny Diaz's defense can do. The thing about Minnesota and Auburn is both of those teams had legit ground games at the time that they were played. Indiana is is ranked, what is it, 
128 in the nation in rushing yards per game. So this isn't a one-dimensional offense. It's a no-dimensional <laughs> offense. And I just I can't understand how they could possibly score enough points to, to be in a game uh, w- with Penn State. I think it all boils turnovers. down to yeah, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> right. turnovers exactly. and, and and the sw- I mean, the weather forecast is early, but it could right. be wet, it could be windy. Uh, I guess those are the kind of things that you, that you look out for. And, and then and who do you look the out for them with? To, to first and foremost, coming out of that Ohio State game. But I think fortunately for Penn State fans, Sean Clifford's typically been good turnover wise against this sort of opponent. So you really need those running backs to hold on to the rock. You know, we saw in a bad weather game at Northwestern that they could not do that. So if it is a bad weather game, you need those guys to learn from that. And you need Sean Clifford to do what he does in, in most games, not against elite competition. And, and that's if he's playing. If it's Aller, it's the same thing. So, yeah, you hit on it perfectly that if Penn State does what it's supposed to do and comes out in the right mental State the the right frame of mind coming off of that tough loss. There's no reason this shouldn't be a relatively easy win. Now those are two two big ifs. I mean, mm-hmm. we've seen in games where they have turned it over, and we've seen Sean Clifford implode at times. But it just I, I don't get the sense that that's going to happen. I I love the way that this team bounced back against Minnesota. I said earlier in the early in the year the key for this team at some point along the way was going to be resiliency the ability to bounce back that it did not show in 20, that it did not show in 2021. So we saw it against Mich- against Minnesota after Michigan. Still a lot to play for at that point. I think there's still a lot to play for, not the same amount, but you can still get to that co- to that New Year six. Uh, you can still get to 10 wins, which would be something after having 11 over the last two seasons. So I just think when you look at the way this, this thing kind of presents itself from both sides uh i just i would be surprised if penn state doesn't win rather easily all right daniel players to watch here for penn state uh, we, we i don't think either of us need to mention sean clifford uh drew aller uh, or olu fashionu after a recent conversation but where do you land offensively defensively and in a matchup where there are so many individual matchups that you love from a penn state angle i want to see what parker washington can do as an encore after last week uh, that was his his best game of the year. Um, he was you know, 11 catches, 179 yards, and a touchdown. Um, you know, it was kind of he'd been leading the team in catches and yards, but we hadn't seen that kind of I guess electricity from him. So I want to see if if he can follow that up. Uh, no matter who the quarterback is, we we talked about that performance last week potentially being a springboard for him down the stretch. And he's another guy who, depending how this last month of the season goes, could have a you know some decisions to make. Uh, this offseason about his future. So I'll see how he kicks off this final third of the year. Uh, I'm curious about that. And then defensively, uh, I think I'll go with Tyler Elsden at at middle linebacker. Um, You know, that spot has been, you know, not the best. I think it's been overshadowed, I think, by Curtis Jacobs and Abdul Carter. Um, But if this is a game where the Penn State defense can really uh, exert itself um, over over Indiana. Um, I want to see what Elston can do there in the middle. Um, I think that, you know, the, the athleticism at that spot between him and Kobe King, we, we've seen them get got a couple times uh, across the middle, but I think Elston is one of the more underrated tone setters on the team. 
um, in terms of watching how physical he plays. And I think back to that Minnesota game uh, where he was really hitting hard, really playing downhill. Uh, and I'm curious to see what it looks like in, in this rebound performance. I know it's not always about the stats, but when you're playing middle linebacker for Penn State, people want to take a look at those tackle totals. And, and Elston's essentially doubling up Kobe King on, on a weekly basis at this point. Um, he has collected fewer than four solo tackles in five consecutive games. So that's something that just stands out to me. I think you want to see an uptick there for Elston and a good opportunity for him, and it would go a long way. Um, Mark, what do you got for us? I'm going to go out on a limb and say Nick Singleton. I think this is the kind of opponent that he will be able to get to the edge against. I think there's a lot of focus on Catron Allen, and with good reason because he's played extremely well. Uh, but you know, if there if, if this is a little bit of a weather game, and they do count on the running game, I think the more opportunities that Single Singleton gets, the more that that the odds just work that he is going to pop something, you know, 50, 60, 70 type yards. So I wouldn't be surprised if he has a big run or two. And over on defense, I will foreshadow my bold prediction slightly by going with Chop Robinson. Yeah, I think it's time for these guys to, th these defensive ends, to kind of let it be known that they're more about just pressuring the quarterback. They have to start building up some sacks. So that's kind of foreshadowing my bold prediction. All right, I'll uh, stick in the offensive backfield for my offensive pick, and I'll go with Catron Allen because uh, just quickly going back to what these guys did at Ohio State, went through the numbers a little bit yesterday. Um, you know, we were so focused on what happened at the end of that game that you got to take a few days and remember what else happened. 121 yards on 26 rush attempts uh, for those two freshmen. Catron Allen led the way. What they did on the ground at, at, with running backs against Ohio State in the past. 42 yards on 19 carries in 2021, 36 yards on eight carries in 2020, 2019 with Journey Brown, 65 yards on 12 carries, 2018 with Miles Sanders, 43 yards on 16 carries, and 2017 with Saquon Barkley, 44 yards on 21 carries. So let me go back to that, 121 yards on 26 carries. That sounds a lot better, doesn't it? So signs of encouragement, and to me, Catron Allen has been – the steadier of the two. He got the start last week. It sounds like they're going to rotate that role because Jay one Slater wants it to reflect that they are both co-starters. And to me, in a matchup like this, particularly if it ends up being a bit of a, a wet track out there, I love the thought of, of giving Katron Allen an opportunity to be that 20-carry kind of a guy. This may be a game like Northwestern that both of these guys get in that 20-carry range, and there's an opportunity for both of them to go 100-plus yards. But I'll hang my hat on, on Katron Allen having the the – higher impact day, but I could see to your point, Nick Singleton going 70 on one play and, and really changing his stat sheet around. And by the way, the next touchdown that Singleton scores will tie the record for freshman rushing record, uh, touchdowns in a Penn State uniform. Noah Kane had at eight of those in 2019. Defensively, Adiza Isaac, because I was thinking Chop, Chop Robinson, but to the same effect, this is, this is a game where you think the opponent is going to be passing the ball quite a bit. Uh, you're going to have a superior advantage with your defensive secondary against the playmakers that, that Indiana is going to put on this perimeter. So if, if we don't see it happen in this game, I'm going to be pretty doubtful that we're going to see that explosion, that kind of an uptick in the sack numbers, in the pressure numbers down the stretch of this matchup. And it will be a really good sign before you go up against the Maryland team that does have a potent passing attack and does have a pretty electric quarterback when he's on. So I think that's worth watching. And since you went with Robertson, I'll go with who I think is their second biggest threat in terms of guy who's going to get a bunch of snaps off the edge and Adiza Isaac is my pick there. Then I, Dennis Sutton, in week eight, remains the only defensive lineman on this roster with multiple sacks, guys. 
Yeah, right, it's crazy. Let's get into our, yeah, let's get into our predictions. Yeah, lead into um, me. That, that's a perfect segue to me for my predictions. Have I'm, at just, it. Take, I'm, I'm take taking it over the show. I'm taking over the show right now. <laughs> now, listen, just Tyler, seriously, building on, on what you just got done saying, I mean, you pointed this out earlier in the week, and it's kind of stunning to think that we're this far into the season and Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson have combined for two sacks. I mean, that's almost uh, – I. I you almost have to take a second look at that. And, and it, is that really the case? And yeah, sure enough, it is really the case. So I, my bold prediction is that Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson will combine to double their sack numbers for the season. They will, the two of them somehow will come out of this game with four, whether it's, uh, whether it's one guy has three and one guy has one or two guys have two or one guy has four. No, Somehow those two guys are going to combine, I think, for four sacks. Mark, that's that's like quadrupling their total. I mean, they've got two combined at this point. Doubling their total would just be two on the day. <laughs> no, they they've only two. got two combined sacks right, through eight so, games. Right. So I'm saying four total between them. Oh, I thought you were saying you're gonna they're, they're gonna get double in this game alone. Yes, oh, okay. I think oh, those I thought two, you said they doubled their season total. No, gotcha. they would double. Does that make sense to you, Daniel? It or does I, now. Okay. Well, yeah, I, everybody. That's just why I should never take over the show because I confuse myself, and now I'm. Well, I'll tell you what. If Tyler. that happens, Mark, then that answers a lot of questions that I just talked about in this pass rush. If those two combine for four sacks uh, plus in this game, so good call. You know, it, this was a matchup where Shaka Tony. Hey, this is where Shaka Tony would always show up with a crazy sack number against Indiana. Maybe someone takes that mantle this year. Well, Prediction-wise, from a score perspective, before we go off the rails here, Mark, what do you got? I got it 35 to 10. Uh, I think Penn State wins relatively handily. Uh, again, I just don't see where this this uh, Indiana offense is going to be able to generate a lot of points, especially if the weather's bad. Uh, I think the defense played really well for most of the game against Ohio State. And again, one-dimensional offenses struggle against Manny Diaz. No-dimensional offenses are really going to have their hands full. How about you, Daniel? I think Tyler's Rutgers math edu- uh, education was was shining through uh, right nice. there. But uh, uh, So my bold prediction, I, I kind of laid it out earlier in terms of Indiana runs a lot of plays, doesn't do a lot with them. They're third worst in time of possession this year, which would be fine if they were scoring a lot of points, which they aren't. Um, so Penn State is going to have a lot of opportunities uh, with the ball. So with my prediction, I think we're going to see multiple Drew Aller series before halftime. We've heard a lot about that that second quarter series um, earlier in the non-conference slate. I think that, you know, weather permitting, this is the perfect opportunity to get Aller out there. And I think they're going to have the chance to get the ball back a couple times um, in the first half, a couple more times than they usually have. So I think we'll see multiple Drew Aller series and Penn State scores a touchdown on at least one of those. So that's where I'm at from bold prediction standpoint. And then in terms of score, I got Penn State 38, Indiana 10. Um, just in terms of looking how Indiana has played this year, some of their injuries, they have uncertainty at quarterback, um, and they don't have a five-star that they're thinking about putting in. So I think that the Penn State defense is in really good shape to, to take care of business give the offense uh, plenty of opportunities and it might not be pretty, but I think Penn state will have enough opportunities that they're going to score a lot of points against Indiana. I mean, what kind of attitude does Penn state choose to show up into November with? I think that's ultimately 
everything, not just this Saturday, but for the course of this month. What kind of energy and effort are we going to see from this team? How much does it matter to them to keep winning games now that the biggest prize is off the table? And I think we'll see them show up. I, I could see a sluggish start potentially, but overall, I do think they'll prevail and they'll do it in a pretty emphatic way. I got 34 to 17, and I guess it's a narrow margin compared to you guys, but it still covers the spread, which at last check was over two touchdowns, but but under 20 points. Um, and, and with this matchup, I'm, again, I'm going to say Catron Allen and the ground game at large has a good game. I think we'll come out of this one too because they'll have to scramble a bit in some way offensively up front. I think whatever they do, it's going to ultimately be a pretty good day for the offensive line. And we're going to come away saying the depth is better than it was last year, clearly, because they were able to overcome some things this week. And to this point, they've given up 12 sacks for eight games. Last year, they gave up 34 sacks on the season. So to me, a big storyline coming out of this one might be another positive step forward for the way we view this offensive front and the ground game at large. In terms of the quarterback, that's going to tie into my bold prediction. I'm not going to predict the starter. I'm not going to tell you who the star is going to be. Mark's going to do that for us on Friday, like he said. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'm going to say that both Drew Aller and Sean Clifford throw a touchdown pass in this matchup. So make of it what you will there. Uh, but I, I think it's time to see both these guys playing football with a game hanging in the balance. And maybe that doesn't last long. Maybe Penn State puts the pedal to the metal and, and they've got a huge lead and it's garbage time for Aller. Uh, but you need to see some extensive usage of the freshman quarterback, I think, one way or the other. And I think James Franklin, based on the way he is handling his approach, is, is conceding that fact or kind of coming to grips with that fact that it's it's time to, to take that shift. And if we see Sean Clifford for 95% plus snaps, then – Wow, we were yeah, we were kind of misled, I guess, in, in our in our view of how this thing was was shaken out over the course of the week. But um, uh, we'll find out real soon, guys. Uh, Thirty-four to seventeen is my pick. You guys gave yours, and, and my bull prediction, like I said, a couple touchdowns from the different quarterbacks. That's it for this episode. We're back with a post-game podcast on Saturday. These guys will be out in Bloomington. I'll be here at home base, but we'll come to you with the latest of what we're hearing. And if there is a quarterback change, it will be our first opportunity to hear about it from James Franklin. So you won't want to miss that kind of conversation coming out of the matchup. Uh, a big thanks uh, again uh, to our, our guest, Matthew Weaver, for breaking down Indiana. I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus.